18 weeks together in the Old Testament part of the Bible and if that's a bit daunting for you, if you're not quite sure how the whole Bible fits together as one big story of God's salvation, then I commend this book to you, God's Big Picture. So it'd be a great book to read as we journey together over the next 18 weeks. Um, There's loads of these books that I have and so please feel free to take one. It'd be a great book to read and then talk to a friend about. There's six copies up the back this morning. I hope they're all gone at the end of church. Um, Let's pray and then we'll jump into the Bible together. Romans chapter 15, verse 4. Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. So, our Father, as we hear your word today, teach us endurance and provide us with encouragement that we might have hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, Well, I've worn for you this morning my go-to winter jacket. It's served me so well over the past 14 winters. Uh, It's comfy, it is warm, it is functional, it is easy to wear. And yet often uh, my life dictates that I need to wear something else. Occasions dictate that I need to wear something more professional, something more formal, something more fitting in every sense of the word. Uh, And that's the reality in the Christian life. What God calls us to wear and to walk in is more than just designed for our comfort and for utility. God calls us to wear and to walk in things that we might never choose for ourselves and don't always provide comfort and cosiness, but they will promote His glory and our godliness. The five shortest books in the writings of the Old Testament are what lie before us this morning. Uh, Traditionally, they're called the Five Scrolls. uh, And Barry Webb, one of my favourite Bible teachers, has written a book that calls these five scrolls the Five Festal Garments. He's taken it as a metaphor from the scene in Genesis chapter 45, where Joseph gives his brother Benjamin five new outfits, remembering that Joseph had a coat and it was after that coat that his brothers sold him into slavery. Now here's Joseph providing his brothers with new clothes. Barry Webb makes the point that those brothers must have worn the outfits rather awkwardly. And so he takes that metaphor with the echoes of Joseph's um, gift to his brothers and points out that some of these outfits, the garments of these five scrolls, we might have to wear rather awkwardly and sometimes more reluctantly. As God's people, while we trust in His goodness and we walk by faith in His promises, Sometimes it feels like the outfits he wants us to wear don't fit quite right. Garments like suffering and love. Garments like frustration and deliverance. And this morning in the book of Ruth, the garment 
of his kindness. Uh, Historically, each of these books were read at a particular time, at significant festival times for God's people, times of key remembering, times of key celebrating God's promises and his character and his sovereign purposes of salvation in the world. And so these festival clothes that we're going to spend time thinking about together make up some of the key outfits that God wants his people to walk in as we walk in faith and hope and love in the world. So we're looking at these five festal garments, Ruth and Lamentations, Song of Songs and Esther and Ecclesiastes, and how they convey for us some of the big themes of the Christian life, what we need to wear and walk in by God's grace, even when it feels awkward, even when it might be distressing even while we might feel like misfits. We're looking at the first three over the next five weeks and then returning to the final two at the end of the next school term. So for today, we're in the book of Ruth and we have the challenge of dealing with the whole book in one bite. That's the garment of kindness and the kindness that we see in the book of Ruth is the kindness that restores and kindness that redeems. There's a constant movement in in Ruth as you read through the narrative, which you should do at another time on a rainy afternoon. There is a constant movement driven by God's loving kindness. It's the movement from death to life. It's the movement from emptiness to fullness. It's the movement from curse to blessing and from barrenness to to fruitfulness. As God works his loving kindness through the details of the lives of everyday people who trust him, and as he weaves his loving kindness into his broad eternal purposes of salvation through Jesus. And so the four things we want to see from the four chapters of Ruth this morning, we want to see the returning for kindness in chapter 1, the refuge in kindness, the receiving of kindness, and the ripples of kindness. We start in chapter 1 that Fiona's just read for us, and the returning for kindness. Uh, Ruth begins with a pretty grim picture. Uh, It was the time of the judges, we read. And if you go back to the previous verse of the Bible in Judges 21, it says, in those days Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit. And let me tell you, that's not a description of harmony and peace. That's a description of chaos and rebellion. But God would raise up his king. And the book of Ruth provides the connection for us. It zooms in to the the gritty reality of individual hearts and people's lives and the detailed working out of God's plan of salvation. And how it is through the lives of these people, God would raise up his king. In the time of Judges, we're told, a man from Bethlehem in Judah, as our Bible reading radars go off, left God's people and God's place and went and settled in a foreign land where he and his sons had died. When he and his sons had died, his wife Naomi and her foreign daughters-in-law were destitute. Naomi turns back towards Bethlehem, back to God's people, in God's place, 
seeing that, seeing that it is God who has already provided for the needs of his people and ended the famine. And even though Naomi is bitter and twisted, and she doesn't express any sense that God's kindness is in her near future, she has every confidence that God is in charge of her misfortune. If God is sovereign, then he's sovereign over all of life. Not just the good bits, but all of it. And so full of complaint and bitter grief and unable to see the kindness that lays in her future, she turns back towards Bethlehem. She turns back towards the Lord. She knows that kindness comes from the hand of the Lord. She tells her daughters-in-law that in verse 8. But Naomi herself is not expecting much kindness in her future. Such were her circumstances. And you might know that experience. Feeling like, how will I ever see the light of God's grace again? Will my tears simply be my food day and night forever? But here's the thing. Twelve times in Ruth chapter 1, we hear the word return. Return, return. Naomi says, she's turning around and given her acknowledgement of God's provision for his people in her homeland and her going away from the place called Moab, the return journey for Naomi is more than geographical. She's going back to the God she left in Judah. This is a journey of repentance. This is Naomi turning back toward God. And here's the thing, when you turn towards God, you are always facing in the direction of kindness, even if you can't see it. She doesn't know what the future holds, so what she does is to place herself in the same hands as the one who holds the future. And she returns to Bethlehem. Chapter 2 there is a refuge in kindness. Pick it up with me at chapter 2, uh, verse 10, where after Naomi and Ruth had returned to Bethlehem, uh, desperate for some food and some provision, uh, Ruth goes to see if she can find some grain in the fields, picking up, gleaning, uh, as it was the time of the harvest. And it is this man, Boaz, overseeing the harvesters, who provides for Ruth, who makes sure that she's going to be able to pick up some, uh, some of what um, has been dropped by the harvesters. And as Boaz provides for Ruth, pick it up with me at verse 10 of chapter 2. Sorry, I've messed up my... Pick it up with me at verse 10. Sorry. At this, Ruth bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked Boaz, Why have I found such favour in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? And Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother 
and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. It's interesting, isn't it, that Boaz instantly recognises that Ruth, the Moabite woman who has come to belong to the people of Israel, that she has come to be under the protective and providing wings of the Sovereign Lord. That it's God's kindness that she is experiencing. And God's protective and providing wings, His sovereign care of refuge, is made visible for Ruth in the protection and the provision that Boaz provides. Boaz is the one who makes visible in the world the protective and the providing hand of the Lord. Boaz protects Ruth from the threats of sexual violence. He provides safety and food and fulfills the spirit of the Lord, not just its letter, letting this foreign girl glean in the fields. God made this provision in his law to care for those who are marginalised, they were, be to, they were to be permitted to follow behind the harvest, to pick up what was left behind, that the poor and the marginalised might be cared for and provided for. But Boaz even goes beyond that. In chapter 2, verse 16, he tells the workers of his harvest to pull out some of the stalks and drop them on the ground. It's a little bit extra. And as is always the case, God's grace provides even more than what we need. There is a constant refrain that what is being given and what is being received in the interaction of these people is not just the kindness of strangers, but here in these acts of love and care, we see the loving kindness of the Sovereign Lord. And what Boaz makes clear to Ruth is that ultimately that is the place under the wings of the Sovereign Lord. That is the place where ultimate protection and provision is to be found. The shelter of His wings is where God's people in God's place find God's loving rule and care. And Spoiler alert, Ruth and Boaz's great-grandson would write this in Psalm 36. David writes, Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies, your righteousness is like the highest mountains, your justice like the great deep. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. How priceless is your loving kindness, O oh God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. In coming back with her mother-in-law Naomi to Bethlehem in Judah and by the kindness of Boaz, Ruth is taking shelter in the shadow of God's wings in his steadfast love, his loving kindness. 
as Ruth returns to Naomi, she talks about the loving kindness of God she's experienced at the hand of Boaz. Pick it up with me at verse 19 of chapter 2. And Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her mother-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. While Naomi, to this point, hasn't been able to see God's loving kindness, here she expresses that even when she couldn't see it, God still has not stopped showing his kindness. Boaz is the close relative, the guardian redeemer, the one built into God's law who ought to provide for the future of this family protecting them, providing for them, not just in giving them some of the leftovers at the harvest, but providing a name, a family, living hope. And this living hope energises Naomi in seeing the provision of God's kindness in Boaz, not simply in the harvest, but far greater than some food. And so chapter 3 is about the receiving of that kindness. In chapter 3, Naomi's energy of hope is deployed as she plays matchmaker, instructing Ruth to how to ever so subtly uh, ask Boaz to take on that role of guardian redeemer. So Ruth is sent back, this time to the threshing floor following the harvest, to make a move to see Boaz enact that legal obligation, to be for Ruth a guardian or a family redeemer, to give her hope, a future, a living hope, a family. Pick it up with me at chapter 3, verse 7, where we read that when Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. No longer just the foreign woman, but your servant, Ruth. She said, spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are the guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it's true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. Once again, you see the uprightness of Boaz wanting to follow the letter of the law, as well as the spirit of the law. 
And in chapter 3, verse 9, when Ruth says to him, spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are the guardian redeemer of our family, there is a very clear echo back to the words that Boaz had already spoken to her, where we see that Ruth sees explicitly in Boaz being the guardian redeemer, that it's in his provision for her family that she is taking protection under the wings of the Lord. She is taking advantage of the kindness of the sovereign God. And she, she, in doing this, she's challenging Boaz to fulfil the blessing that he declared to her earlier, that, she, that he might be the means by which Ruth finds refuge. It's interesting, isn't it, that Boaz feels like he's the recipient of the kindness? From his perspective, Ruth had much better prospects among other younger men. There's a reciprocal recognition in the growing intimacy of this relationship that both are showing kindness one to the other. Barry Webb writes it like this, he says, if there's a nobility of character that Boaz and Ruth have in common... The word kindness distills the essence of it. On the part of Boaz, he doesn't use his strength to control, but rather to protect Ruth. He doesn't use his power to coerce, but to care for her. It's a great example, isn't it? Boaz takes the abundant provision of God's kindness and he shows it in turn to those who need it. And he does it with gentleness and love that befits someone in the family line of the Lord Jesus. And it's at this point where the relationship is now dominating the storyline and where we're, we're meant to see that the real action is here in this relationship between Boaz and Ruth. And yet the meaning of the story is still being told through the lens of the harvest. And the starting point of Naomi's emptiness and need. Remember in chapter 1 where she's talking about being in famine but also losing her family. The Lord has brought her back empty. But by the lens of the harvest we start to see that this relationship is going to fill that emptiness. Boaz says to Ruth in chapter 3, verse 17, don't return to your mother-in-law empty. In those words, there's an echo of Naomi's words in chapter 1. Her emptiness is being filled again, not just being filled by the provision of the harvest, and the reversal of famine, but the provision of a family, a guardian redeemer who starts to restore the more significant things that she has lost. In losing her family, Naomi had no future, but in Boaz, the family redeemer, there is hope. Historically, the festival where the book of Ruth would be read and remembered would be at the harvest, logically, 
but also in remembering of God giving the law. And this is a picture in this book of loving kindness that fulfills the law as the Bible consistently teaches. It's a story of inclusion and provision for this Moabite woman. It's a picture of devout commitment to God's ways interwoven with a loose application of God's law for the sake of love. And this loving kindness, it's not hidden off to the side, it's not seen as a one-off exception. This loving kindness, a picture of God's grace in the world, is given centre stage and is woven into the very fabric of God's story of redemption in the Lord Jesus. Without the New Testament, you might see this picture of including a random Moabite woman into the people of God and providing for her over and above the the demands of the law as a one-off exception. And yet the genealogy of the Lord Jesus brings Ruth front and centre to say, no, this picture of the loving kindness of God is is what is at the very centre of world history. And so finally, let's look at the ripples of kindness in chapter 4, where we skip to the highlight of the story. In verse 13, where Boaz took Ruth to become his wife, when he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. And Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Friends, here is the relational link between the chaos and the rebellion of judges and the provision of God's king in the story of 1 and 2 Samuel that will follow. Boaz, the family redeemer, is a forerunner for his great-grandson, King David, and David's even greater son, the Lord Jesus, the redeemer under whose wings we find the infinite kindness and the grace of the sovereign Lord. I hope that as you reflect on the content of this beautiful little book, that you will be reminded that God, not the devil, is in the details. That he sovereignly works out his purposes even in the small things, in order that his loving kindness and his life-giving grace might be seen and experienced in the lives of people. And that even when our circumstances don't allow us to see it, we're reminded here that when we're turned towards God, we're facing in the direction of kindness. That's to be found under his wings, in his loving rule and care, where there is eternal provision and protection and all of it is of grace. The Apostle Paul writes these words to Titus. 
But when the kindness and love of God, our Saviour, appeared, He saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Saviour. So that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. Why don't we pray together? Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that your kindness and love has so consistently been demonstrated throughout history and most supremely demonstrated in the arrival of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus. We pray that you would help us to be turned towards you, knowing that it's facing you that we face kindness that it's under your wings that we find protection and provision and that it's all of grace. We pray that trusting in your grace and having the hope of eternal life, we might therefore devote ourselves to what is good. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.